Joining us this time is Kelly Nielsen, founder of The Grief Guru, who helps families who have lost loved ones turn their pain into purpose. Kelly's journey includes losing her mom to suicide in 2017. Then on July 8, 2018, her son Quentin died of an accidental drug overdose. Because this is Suicide Awareness Month, this episode is dedicated to all of our loved ones who have died to suicide and overdose. Death to suicide and overdose continue to be topics that are seldom discussed and very much taboo in our society. So this episode is dedicated to those who have experienced this trauma and to those who struggle with suicide and or addiction. Tune in to see how Kelly's life is now dedicated to encouraging those in recovery and those affected by trauma and loss to keep moving forward and grab hold of all of the gifts that God has for them. Welcome everyone to another episode of the Share Your Stories series. This is a podcast where we get to explore humanity one heart at a time. I'm your host, Jenny Diltz, and I'm the founder of Grieving Coach. I'm a certified grief coach who specializes in helping people transform grief into growth. And I do this one conversation, one heart, one experience at a time. From my personal experiences with grief, I have learned to lean in, ask questions, and reflect with gratitude on the lessons I've received from grief. And now I get to use this pattern to help others transform their grief from foe to friend. And a special thanks goes out to the nonprofit organization Reimagine, who has built and supports a community to host events like these where people can come talk about grief and adversity, trauma, and process and learn from life's challenging experiences. So I hope this conversation can be an interactive experience for not only my guests, but also for you as listeners. So you can learn things about our conversation or from our conversation about your own grief journey that will help you in processing yours. Joining us this time is Kelly Nielsen, founder of The Grief Guru. Kelly didn't grow up with visions of becoming a grief guru, grief guru. <laughs> But life had other plans. After losing her mother to suicide in 2017, she found herself swept out in a sea of grief. Barely able to get through the days, she looked for help and was discouraged when she didn't find the support or tools to recover. Thankfully, an encounter with an inspiring speaker showed her that healing was available to her. She decided then and there to dedicate herself to recovering from grief. She studied, prayed, documented her process, and began to recover. Her recovery came not a moment too soon, just as a year later, her 20-year-old son, Quentin, died of an accidental drug overdose. Kelly has since become a speaker, author, and coach. Her book, You're Not Crazy, You're Grieving, shares the process she used to heal from her tremendous losses. She also founded The Grief Guru, a company focused on helping others to learn to move forward in purpose and love their lives after loss. Thank you so much, Kelly, for being on the show with us today. 
Yeah, it is my complete honor and pleasure. And I love that we that you took some time to dedicate it to people that we've lost to suicide and overdose and for family members who are struggling with that. I, I appreciate that. Nobody's ever done that at the start of a talk and, and that touched my heart. So thank you for taking the time to do that. You're welcome. Like I said, it's um, and it's an area where we don't dedicate a lot of space to it. We don't dedicate a lot of conversation or memory or honor to those struggling with these types of challenges. Yeah, it can be a taboo subject. I mean, grief in and of itself is kind of a taboo subject. As a culture, we don't do well talking about grief and relating to grief. But then when you add the added stigma of suicide or overdose and compounded with the fact that in those cases, it's sudden and traumatic. So the grief experience itself is complicated. And then you have the added social stigma and it can make it really challenging for people to even find a safe space to share how they feel or or what their struggle is, let alone find the examples and tools and support to actually get better or even believe that healing and recovery is possible for them. So conversations like this are so important and they need to be happening more and more and more. (laughs) I agree. So thank you for joining us to share your story of loss with loss from suicide and overdose. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm happy to give a, a quick overcap you mentioned or overview rather you mentioned in the beginning, but we're actually, we're coming up on five years. My mom passed away uh, February 1st of 2017. So it'll be five years here in a few weeks. And, you know, for anyone that it's experienced that it really shatters kind of everything. It shatters your family. It shatters your belief system. It like everything you knew to be true gets turned upside down. And it is, it's an opportunity and a place where a lot of people question a lot of things and struggle with a lot of things. And so it was very debilitating for me when I lost my mom. Uh, It was, you know, grief really was winning the war for a very long time, not sleeping, not eating, not able to concentrate, And one thing not a lot of people talk about is the physicality of grief, you know, feeling like you have the flu and being exhausted and not being able to concentrate the physical pains in your heart and in your stomach, you know, at different times, I felt like I was being stabbed in the heart, different, you know, I'd be walking and have a thought and and it really felt like somebody just came up and punched me in the stomach. And so those all that caught me by surprise. You know, I felt so unprepared to deal with all of that, um, let alone just the horror of the story of the details around losing my mom and all the questions and implications. And, mm-hmm. you know, um, the joke with my friends at the time was like, this is like an episode of Dateline. Like, this can't be my real life, but it was my real life, you know? And, yeah. And people couldn't, because people can't understand, and it's like kind of bigger than any of us, most of my friends and family just didn't, they didn't know what to do. You know, they didn't know what to say. And so it can feel incredibly lonely. You can feel like nobody understands you. Nobody can help you. You know, you're dealing with the hardest thing you've ever dealt with in your life. And you feel like you're left to do it all alone. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's a really, that can be a very scary, dark, lonely place. And I think that's part of the reason why when suicide happens in families, the chances of another member committing suicide goes up tremendously. 
uh, because once it's kind of in close proximity in your life, I guess people, it becomes a viable option for people. And, you know, having gone through it and experienced it, I can understand why, you know, um, that's partly why I'm so passionate to help all people that are grieving, but especially people that have experienced suicide or overdose, because we have to get them the help, like in that moment of crisis, so that it doesn't continue to perpetuate within that family, right? Mm -hmm. We need to try to restore the family members that are left behind so that they can get healed and recovered and, and be healthy for future generations. Yeah. Grief is an individual journey, meaning every person experiences grief in their own way. Mm -hmm. And there are also some trends in grief. What are some of the trends that are specific, more specific to lost by suicide or overdose than those that are not found in other types of death or losses? Yeah, I think that um, the stigma and the shame and keeping things private, you know, if you have someone that dies of a tragic car accident, you have, you'll have no problem sharing the details, you know, oh, they died in a car accident. You know, there's not so much emotional, uh, collateral, I guess, attached to that. But when it's suicide or overdose, um, you know, I worked with one woman that it was an entire year after her son had passed away and she had never said out loud what actually happened. Her son died of an overdose and just, they just left it very vague and cloud. And not that you need to tell everybody your business, but the secrets we keep, keep us sick. Right. And if you don't feel comfortable enough to tell anyone you know, what actually happened, what you're actually struggling with, it's incredibly hard, if not impossible to heal and recover from that. Mm -hmm. So I think certainly the stigma and the kind of secrecy that happens. And then secondly, the guilt, you know, in both cases of overdose and suicide, you know, loved ones, we feel like it's very natural to feel like we could have or should have done something to save them. You know, it's very natural to play the what ifs and, mm -hmm. you know, and replay conversations, re, you know, look for signs, look for ways that you could have done something to have a different outcome. I think that is definitely unique to those types of losses. Yeah. So what helped you deal with and process and recover in your grief journey after your mom died from suicide? Yeah. I mean, the, the biggest thing is I saw an example of someone who was healed. I mean, that was such a catalyst in my own life. I went on for months and months just being like, well, I'm just going to be sad and miserable for the rest of my life. Like that's all the examples I saw of people who had lost a loved one to suicide. That's what they were living in. And so I just thought this is how it is. And for me, it wasn't until I saw a woman, she didn't lose a family member to suicide, but she actually survived the Rwandan genocide. And she heard broadcast over the radio, nearly everyone she had ever known being killed, being massacred. She was hid away in a bathroom for 90 days with eight other women and was miraculously, you know, spared and hidden. They never found her. And I heard her speak at an event and she shared not only the horror of that ordeal, but the healing process that she went through and how she was able to forgive and find healing and, and let go of the anger and all the things that come with it. And I saw her full of joy, full of hope, like fully living her life. She lives in New York. She has two kids. And when I, you know, people talk about these light bulb moments in their life, and that is the only 
like real, I think a light bulb actually went off over my head because it was such an aha, like an epiphany and hopelessness broke off of me in an instant. I just, I, it occurred to me, oh my goodness, this woman has been through something worse than I'm facing. And she is in front of me healed and whole. So if God will do it for her, he'll do it for me. And if she can do it, I can do it. And Mm -hmm. so I decided right then and there, I was going to recover. I didn't know where to start. I didn't know how long it would take, but I had the biggest, most important thing. And that is the belief that it was possible. And that is even now, as I work with clients and I speak places, there are so many people that believe that recovery or healing is not possible and, or that it somehow means that you didn't love the person you lost or that, you know, like there's all these misconceptions around grief and loss. And I, it breaks my heart. I see so many people who just believe that they can't recover. And and so they won't because they don't believe it's possible, Mm -hmm. you know? And so for me, that broke that off of me and I realized it was possible. And then I began to study. I've studied a lot about our neurological systems and our bodies and what happens in our brain, what happens to us when we go through grief and trauma, and then how to reverse those effects and how to restore order and um, structured thinking. And, you know, grief causes a chaos state in your brain. And there's a lot of a lot of things that come along with that chaos state. So the first kind of order of business is taking your brain out of the chaos grief state and getting it back to a more structured order state so that you can mourn the loss and process the loss. But so many people stay stuck in that kind of chaos, fight or flight, um, over adrenaline trauma place. And they really don't even get themselves physically to a place where they can process the loss and move forward because they're just perpetually in a state of trauma. So those are the things I started to learn and and get myself back to a place of stability. Mm -hmm. And so that I could um, process the loss and thank God I did when I did, because I was finally feeling back on my feet and myself when my son died. And that's the other thing I, you know, I don't want to be a heavy hand or I don't want to scare anyone. But the the sad truth is, you know, losing someone doesn't mean you've now done your duty and you'll never lose anyone ever again. You know, like it's, it's not a one and done type thing. We're connected to a lot of people and especially now everything, you know, I lost two people last week, you know, that were fairly close to me. Mm-hmm. So understanding that we need to develop skills and practice skills and build our muscles around grieving and grief and mourning and loss and, and understanding that that's going to be in some degree or capacity, a part of our life, as long as we're out on this earth. So it's something that you should start now and you (laughs) should continue and you can get, you know, better and better at it. It's just like going to the gym. You wouldn't go to the gym and try to pick up 400 pounds day one, but you can go and you can start with where you're at. And if you consistently work at it, it will get easier and easier. You will get better and better and you'll be able to navigate things, you know, I just lost a friend last week, a dear friend from high school. And most of my high school friends haven't really lost anyone. And so it's just interesting to me, like, you know, the first time you do anything, it's the hardest and the heaviest. If we Mm -hmm. all think back to our first love or our first breakup or, you know, fill in the blank, whatever it is. And the same thing applies to grief. It's always going to feel bigger and heavier and harder the first time you experience something like that. 
but the key is to lean in and, and learn the skills and go through the process and know that on the other side, you're going to be better equipped for whatever life, you know, chooses to throw your way. Mm-hmm. Well said. I want to go back to like the initial part of having that realization that it is possible and mm-hmm. that you can move through it, move forward. Mm-hmm. If somebody is feeling stuck in that trauma, in the loss, in the grief, what can they do to help themselves get to that more stable mindset, that more stable status? Yeah. I mean, there's so many things that they can do, um, depending on, on where they are in the process, um, and how much the chaos is going on. One great thing that you can do is implement structure in your day. So if you wake up the same time every day, eat your meals the same time every day, go to bed at the same time every day and have some sort of morning routine and bedtime routine, those things alone, because your body craves order and it craves patterns. And so when you have this grief chaos and it's overwhelming and it feels like you can't control your thoughts, right? Emotions just come and kind of overtake you and have their way with you. You have to get back to the place where you're in the driver's seat and you can better manage and control the thoughts and emotions that come at you. So one of the best ways to do that is to you start telling your brain and your body what the deal is instead of, you know, uh, just sleeping and eating and having it be all haphazard say, Oh, I'm going to get up at 7am. I'm going to do this and this and this, make some decisions, make some commitments to yourself and then start following those through. And if even that feels overwhelming, just doing one of those, if you can just get up at the same time every day and do that for a week or two weeks, you'll notice that you start to feel a little bit more balanced. And then maybe add to that, that you're going to go to bed at the same time every day, you know, adding more structure is going to help tremendously. Another thing that you can do that will help tremendously is to just get real with the idea of whether you believe you can recover or not, right? So just, if you don't think you can recover, reflect on that and be open to the idea that maybe you can, you know, even just listening to me, maybe, maybe just, maybe you can recover and maybe look for books that would give you evidence that show you can recover or find other examples. It's very important for everybody has to have kind of that personal epiphany for themselves to say, recovery is possible for me until it becomes a personal statement that you can say and believe you're not going to make a lot of progress forward. And so, however, you know, and I understand it takes people, it took, I was in that place for probably nine months before I heard that speaker and was like, Oh, wait a minute, (laughs) recovery is possible for me. So I'm not here to criticize or condemn if you're, if you're not at that place yet, but I want to encourage you to keep your mind open to the idea even of recovery And then if you can just say that every day, even if you can say recovery is possible, if you say that every day, an even better statement would be I'm recovering every day, every day, I'm one step closer to recovery, some sort of statement that identifies that you believe recovery is available and that you're seeking it or discovering it or on the path to recovery. I can't tell you what that does for you neurologically it begins to create a roadmap of recovery in your own mind, in your own neurological systems. Our minds are fascinating that if we give our mind the end, it will reverse engineer the path to get there. But if we don't tell it where we're going, 
it just is free to wander and do whatever it wants. But if Mm -hmm. we tell it, we are recovering, recovery is where we're headed, your own mind will begin to lead you and direct you and move in that direction. It's really fascinating part of the way that we're wired. And so one of the best things, and when I work with clients, one of the most powerful things that we do together is we help them craft several sentences for themselves that they say every day. And they find that that, that again is what turns from being the passenger to the driver. Mm -hmm. You now are in control and you are dictating to your mind what you're going to think about, what you're going to focus on. And the beautiful part about that is if you do it for 63 days, it becomes automatic. It takes 21 days to learn a new thought or get rid of an old thought, but it takes 63 days for that thought pattern to become automatic. So, um, I want to encourage people too. if you, if you start doing this for one, two or three days and you don't feel amazing, don't give up on it. It's just, it's just like going to the gym or any other practice or discipline that we would do. It's about consistent, intentional, long-term effort, but at a certain point, it will become second nature. It will become automatic and it will be one of the best tools that you have. Amazing. Yeah. Thank you. Another topic you touched on is the perception of grief that is so common. What are we doing really poorly and what are we doing really well when it comes to grief? Ooh, the really well one is hard. (laughs) Honestly, I think there's so much room for improvement. I think, you know, I'll take this. I will say this. I think what we're doing really well is that people want to help, you know, people really want to support and be there for people who are going through grief. I I've experienced and I hear all the time, like generally our hearts are good and we want to help people. Um, I think where we're missing it is that we say and do things, especially if you haven't been through grief, you can say or do things that sound like common sense. It sounds like it's being helpful, but it's actually not helpful to the person. So I'll give you an example. When, when I lost my son, people would come up to me all the time and they're like, Oh my gosh, Kelly, I don't know how you get out of bed. Like, I don't, I don't even know how you get out of bed. And that sounds like well-meaning. It sounds like they're, they're trying, but if I would listen to them and if enough people said that to me and I'm like, Oh shoot, you're right. Like I shouldn't get out of bed. Like it, it can be a limiting belief that you can adopt. If people mm-hmm. tell me, and I've had so many people and I hear from my clients all the time, you'll never recover from this. You know, you just need to learn to live with it. You're always going to be sad. People say that. And some people believe that. And that is the yeah. most, and if you've never been through grief before and you're learning, you're listening and learning to people who lost loved ones before you. And if they tell you <laughs> you're never going to recover, you have no reason to question that you're like, Oh, and that was my experience. I saw those people in the support group and they were miserable. And I was mm-hmm. like, Oh, well, I guess this is just what it is because that was the only example that I saw. So in my opinion, the biggest mistake we're making, the biggest thing we're doing wrong is perpetuating this myth that healing or recovery isn't possible, that you never recover from grief. You just learn to live with it. And I understand it can be somewhat mincing words because I'm not here to pretend that my mom or my son are ever coming back. Like there's nothing that I can do that can bring them back. Like the rest of my life, I'm going to live without their physical presence. And that is truth. Like there's nothing I can do to undo that. But what I'm saying is grief, the condition of grief, which is 
the sad, heavy, debilitating grief is actually an internal thing that you experience that can be resolved and remedied. And that can be, you can recover from that. I have recovered from that. Does that mean that I never miss my son or mom? No, but I live hold, heal, healthy and you know, remembering them fondly and involving them in my day-to-day life and honoring them. It's not a debilitation or a brokenness. And Mm -hmm. I think in our culture and society, we tend to wear it like an never ending debilitation or brokenness. And that is just false in my opinion. Yeah, I agree. Um, I agree that we don't have to stay in that debilitating stuck confined status we can let it out we can heal it we can grow from it we can learn from it we can change it right absolutely people you know what are the people always say oh grief changes you a hundred percent it changes you Mm -hmm. you're going to be a different person but Usually when people say that it's in a negative connotation, you know, oh, you're never the same after loss. And I'm like, you're right. I'm not the same. I'm a lot better in a lot of ways. You know, Mm -hmm. like the point is that the grief and loss will change you and it's up to you how it changes you. You can become a better version of yourself because having gone through it and you can use the lessons and print everything that you experience by going through it to be a blessing to others and to, you know, live a rich, rewarding life. Like the choice is is really yours. And some people honestly get offended at that, you know, and and it's not easy. It's not instant. I'm not saying you can just say, oh, I choose to be a better person and it's just going to, no, it's the hardest thing I've ever done in my life. It's hard. It's hard work and it takes courage and it takes consistency and it takes perseverance and it takes patience and it takes strength. It takes all these things. And it's, you can't just wave a magic wand. It's not instant, but with hard work and perseverance and consistency, you absolutely can get there. And that's, I just want to encourage people to not give up and to keep, you know, if it takes you five years to heal, then, then spend the five years, because what is your choice? Not healing, you know, not getting back to your life. Like Mm -hmm. however long it takes you, whatever tools you need to use to get back to loving your life and living a rich, rewarding life. Like no matter what it costs or how long it takes, that's what you have to do because we all need everybody fully engaged in their life. If you have any other loved ones or family members, they need you to do this work. You know, this isn't optional. One of the things I always say is that trauma is not your fault, but healing is your responsibility. You know, no one, no matter what you didn't ask for this to happen, it's not fair, all that stuff. We get it right. But the, the choice for healing and the work that it's going to take for healing lands squarely on your lap. Like no one else can do it for you. Mm -hmm. You have to decide that you want it and you have to work at it. And, and that's just the truth. Like that's just the truth of life and loss, you know, it's a hard truth, but it's the truth. So I'd like to, I agree. I agree. First of all, I agree hundred percent healing growth, how you react to the trauma. Trauma is not in our control most of the time, but how we react to it, how we heal from it, how we, what we learn from it, how we process it. That totally is in our 
realm of control and responsibility. On the flip side, there are people who, for whatever reason, subconscious, unconscious, known or not known, stay in the trauma, stay in that that place of sickness. Yep. As opposed to healing, mm-hmm. why would why would someone why might someone choose to do that? Yeah, I think the two biggest things. Number one they don't believe healing is possible, right? Mm -hmm. So someone said that to them somewhere along the lines or the examples they have in their own life are not of people who are healed. So they adopted that as a belief. They came into agreement with it and they probably tell other people that. It's incredibly hard to rise above your own confession. If you're declaring that recovery is impossible, you're not really gonna rise above it. But the other reason, even if people feel that healing may be available to them, if they're constantly re-traumatizing themselves by, if they rehearsing and rehashing the pain, if they're, if they're always reliving the details of the loss and the trauma, they can keep themselves stuck in that perpetual state of trauma and chaos. And it's really, really hard to get out of that hole. And so that's part of what we work with folks to do is to learn how to recognize those loops and stop the, the negative trauma loops and to disrupt it and, and instead replace it with positive thoughts. So that's why those little sentences at the morning in the morning, as silly as it sounds, but saying, I believe that recovery is possible. I'm on my way to recovery that helps to disrupt that loop. Another Mm -hmm. thing that we recommend people to do is if you find yourself just really meditating on the loss and kind of going down that spiral, set a timer, do something to disrupt, um, disrupt that train of thinking. Even just the, the, your alarm going off is enough to disrupt that neurological loop. And then I tell people, you know, once the alarm goes off, just make a commitment. You're going to get up and go for a walk. You're going to journal. You're going to call a friend. You're going to do something else instead of just letting those thoughts have their way. Because again, we, our minds and bodies love patterns. And so Mm -hmm. I think that's when I see people who get stuck, it's like, they just, they're constantly rehearsing it. They're constantly rehashing it. They're letting their mind meditate and dwell on things that are not fruitful or productive or healing. It's just negative, negative, negative. And so they're just, they've preconditioned themselves to a negative state and they just need some real help to interrupt that loop and make a new loop. So how can people know what works for them to get themselves out of that loop? So they just have to start trying. They have to trial and error and test things out. And I mean, that's really what I did for myself. And that's really when, when I work with clients and with my team works with clients, we try things out and we check in with them every week. And, and the biggest thing is to keep an open mind, understanding that you're going to have several tools in your tool belt and some will work sometimes. And some, you know, some you'll never use some you'll use all the time, but when you get in that downward spiral, um, we actually make with our clients like a little recipe card that they, we put on a note card and keep with them, you know, that it's a, if it's a heavy, hard day, or if you're triggered and having troubles, here's 10 things you can try, you know, and look at the card and pick the one that seems most appealing to you. And if it doesn't work, move on to the next one. But mm-hmm. after they've done that a handful of times, they begin to trust that 
as long as they look at that card and try things on the card, they're going to be able to get themselves out of it. And even that is a neurological loop, right? So once they start to condition themselves and know like, Hey, when it's a tough day, I don't, I don't have to just let it have its way with me. I have this card and I can try these things. And I know that nine times out of 10, something on this card is going to help, you know? Mm -hmm. And even if it doesn't help a hundred percent of the time, again, you're, you're starting to condition your mind that it's possible to recover and that there are things out there that can help you and that you don't have to just let grief have its way with you all the time, that you can be the driver. You can redirect your thoughts and emotions to a healthier, more productive place. There's part of me that still wants to dig deeper into if you're not quite at that place of moving into the hope and the trust. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's something that I'll continue to chew on. Um, just having, having the faith and trusting your own timing that it will happen like that aha moment of trust, um, healing and recovery and a different lifestyle, a different life, a different mindset is possible. Yeah. I mean, for me, honestly, I don't know where I would be if I hadn't heard that woman speak on stage. Like that was such a profound moment. And it's a huge part about why I do what I do, because Mm -hmm. people just need to see examples of, of people that actually have been through stuff and actually are better because it does, it's a thing called mirroring, you know, what you see your mind believes is real and achievable. So if you see someone, if you don't see any example of somebody who's experiencing peace and joy after loss, your brain equates that it isn't, it's impossible and you can't do it. Mm -hmm. As soon as you see even just one person that has recovered. So that's another thing I would recommend to people is look for examples in your own life, in your own community. You know, if you know of people that have, if you've lost a child, if you know of people that have lost a child reach out, talk to them and don't talk to them for necessarily advice because they all may not be healed. What you're looking for is someone who has what you don't have. What you're looking for is someone who actually is on the other side and is in a healthy, joy-filled place and uh, so that they can be an example to you. And, And they are out there. They're few and far between, but they are out there. And that's, I think, the best thing if you're feeling like it's hopeless or if you're feeling you can't, you know, you're not gonna get there getting as close and personal to somebody who, who actually has done it is the best thing. So where can you look for people who have traveled the road and are now on the other side who have that joy of life? I know it's so hard because even in like grief support groups and stuff like that, like a lot of those support groups are a lot filled with a lot of people who are stuck and then a lot of times the way they facilitate the support group is perpetuating staying stuck. And that's like, it breaks my heart and infuriates me because I know they're wanting to help. Like, oh, let's have this safe place where people can come and share. The problem with that is if you go every week and you rehash your story, and not only that, you listen to other people rehashing a very similar story, you are telling your brain and your body that you're still in the crisis. You're still in the trauma. You're still, you're not giving your, 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 
body and brain a fighting chance to actually crawl up out of that. Right. Mm -hmm. And so many bereavement and grief support groups are structured that way. So I'd love to tell people go to a support group and try to find somebody who's healed. But unfortunately, because of the way a lot of support groups are structured, it's very rare to find somebody who's healed, who's in support groups because they tend to be this loop, you know, and people who actually want to get healed at some point decide the support group is not where it's going to happen. I need to actually go find some help outside the support group to get better and healed, you know? Mm -hmm. So I would say, and that's why we do, that's why we do grief coaching. That's why I do what I do because I know how important these examples are and being connected to someone who is an example and who is on the other side. And that's why, you know, I have other coaches now that I've certified and work with people because there's so much power in learning from and following behind an example of somebody who's been in your shoes or very close to your shoes, who can understand, you know, what you're going through. Mm -hmm. What encouragement would you have for people who have been in those situations, in those circumstances, and have found the joy, what encouragement would you have for them in sharing their story and being that light for others to come find them? Oh my goodness. Yes. We need you. Like if you're, if you're, if you're in that place of peace and joy. And so when I walk folks through our our little five-step framework, the fifth step is finding a purpose for your pain. And how can you use this experience to be a blessing to others? How can you take what you've learned and how you've grown and go help others? And for a lot of people, it is wanting to be a grief coach, but even if it is sharing your story, you know, speaking in groups or at, you know, at rotary meetings, wherever, if you have an opportunity to go share your story, that's one way to do it. Write a book and share your book with people. Just even if you would be intentional and make yourself available, that if you hear of someone, a family that's gone through loss, reach out to them and be a voice of encouragement to them. You know, now you walk through this thing and you are uniquely qualified to speak into other people's lives the way you couldn't before. Mm -hmm. And I know for, for all of us, it's like when you lose someone, you don't want that to be in vain, right? Like the fact that I now, because of these losses, I paid a very high price for the the position that I'm in and the experience that I've had. So I'm not going to waste that. You know, if that allows me to be a better friend, to be a better coach, to be a better, whatever, because of it, then I want to do that. So I just Mm -hmm. really would implore everybody. If it just means being a better friend to a loved one who loses somebody and you can walk alongside them, do that. But maybe it is more on a public platform. Maybe they need to be sharing their stories on podcasts and and doing what they can so that there's more voices of hope and healing out there than the voices that would say recovery is not possible. We're just going to be sad and broken for the rest of our lives. Mm -hmm. You are an inspiration. Oh, bless your heart. It's so it's so good and refreshing to hear your voice of hope and joy and purpose and like living proof that recovery is possible, that there can be a full, joyful, purposeful life after tragedy and after trauma. Absolutely. Absolutely. And not only that, but like, if you think of, if you go back and actually here's a good place, if people are thinking it's hopeless, 
go read Abraham Lincoln's life story. Go read like really almost any majorly successful person had massive loss and adversity and trauma in their life. And that's part of what catapulted them to where they were. Most significant things that happen on the earth start the birthplace of it is trauma and tragedy, because in the midst of trauma and tragedy, you get formed in you this strength, this resilience, all this stuff that you wouldn't, wouldn't have got any other way. And so now the point is you have all this inner stuff, like, oh my goodness, what could you go do? You know, and the, the world is full of examples of people who have endured tremendous hardship and tremendous loss and have done tremendously amazing things that, so that is the class that you're now in. Like that is the group that you're now in. You, what I always used to say is like, I have the best before story, right? Like you hear there's all this before and then it turns into amazingness, right? Like I have the before settled, you know, and now Mm -hmm. I'm stepping into the after story and it, I'm doing things and experiencing things and living a life that I could have never dreamed possible before this happened. And so don't despise the journey. I kind of compare it to being recruited to the Olympics. Like imagine someone woke you up in the middle of the night and they're like, guess what? You're in the Olympics now. And in three months time, you're going to go perform and represent your country in bobsledding. And you're like, what the heck? I didn't, I don't know anything about bobsledding. And I, I didn't ask to be here and I, blah, blah. And no, you didn't ask for it. And they're going to make you train and they're going to wake you up at four in the morning and they're going to condition your body and teach you to bobsled and do all these things that you had no interest in doing. But here you are, you find yourself in this position. But the thing is, if you'll commit yourself to the training and if you'll wake up at four in the morning and learn the things, you can go be on the Olympics and represent your country and do things you never thought possible. It's kind of, it's a weird analogy, but it's kind of the same thing. Yeah. You didn't ask for this, but this is actually positioning you to do some pretty awesome stuff if you'll just let it. So what advice would you have for people who are on the cusp of awesomeness? They may just be finishing their very forest story and not quite ready to step into awesomeness yet, but they're they're trying to figure out what to do with all of this now. Yeah. I mean, the same advice applies to them as at the very beginning, go find somebody who has what you want and learn from them, you know, go find. So if you want to write a book, go, go link up with somebody who's written a book and let them help you to write a book. If you want to speak, if you want, whatever it is, find someone that has done that thing and go learn from them. And you'll find this is another advantage of having a God when you have a compelling story people will help you, you know, when you have a compelling reason and a compelling story and you want to do something awesome in the world, you'll be amazed at who will return your call and who will, who will lean in and lend their support and talents to help you. So I, I say, you know, find someone and you, they don't even need to be that farther down the road than you just find someone a little bit farther down the road than you and ask if you can tag along, be respectful and gracious with their time, honor them and understand that they're helping you and then let them, you know, let them um, help you. And, and, you know, a lot of us, when we go through loss, we get this kind of invincible thing, right? Because once you've lost someone really close to you, it's like, what, you know, what can the world do to me? (laughs) You know what I mean? So my other advice is like, try some stuff. And if you fail, you fail, you know, if it doesn't go the way that you thought or whatever, like really, we know in the grand scheme of things, you know, if we do this podcast and it's a hot mess at the end of the day, like 
everyone's going to be okay. You know what I mean? Like we mm-hmm. don't, we, that's one of the gifts for me of like having losses, like stuff that used to matter doesn't matter. And I don't sweat the small stuff. And I try, I'm a master of imperfect progress. I just do stuff and throw it out there. And I just keep walking forward and I learn as I go. And it's instead of becoming stressful or pressure, or, you know, it's become this like playful adventure, you know, that I just keep going and keep trying things. I learn as I go and, you know, almost nothing goes the way I thought it was going to go or that I hoped it would go right. Things go Mm -hmm. wrong all the time. So it's just about learning and adapting and keep going at it. So for, I would say, start stepping into your awesomeness, you know, test it out, see how it goes, see where it leads. Like you never know where to lead one conversation, one connection could lead you to something that you can't even conceive of today, right now, you know, someone may see this podcast and it may be a huge connection for one of us, or it may be the exact message that they need to hear in order to, to go and do something amazing. So Mm -hmm. we never know. I love the phrase you used imperfect progress. Oh my gosh. I'm a mess. If, if I could have any title, like I, done is better than perfect, right? Like I say that all the time, like done is better than perfect. Like even writing my book, you know, it's just like, I just needed to get it done and out there. And yes, I could have, I could have spent six more months or a year more like tweaking and refining and the, you know, the, the, uh, what is the word formatting and things like that. And it's like, Mm -hmm. you know what? No done is better than out there. And in all its glory and all its imperfections, that book has helped people. And that's the point, right? It's not about it being perfect or whatever. It's about people have read that book and found a sliver of hope. And that's amazing. And again, like, did I ever think that I would write anything that would help people find the courage and strength to hang on in their, you know, in their lives and in their journey? Mm -hmm. I never would have thought I would have been doing that. But this, again, is another one of the things, you know, an opportunity that this afforded me. And everybody has those same opportunities in front of them. They just have to be healed enough to see them. They have to be mm-hmm. healed enough to perceive them and then strong enough to step into them. And I think even if you can't see the fruits yet, like if you if it's still a nebulous cloud for you, take one step forward. Yes. And just trust that as you move forward, as you take one more step, you'll get a sense of the direction. Okay, this is where I want to go. This is where I'm headed. And it starts to become clear as we take those one steps, even if they're baby steps. Absolutely. And step in the direction of what you love and what brings you joy. If you if you follow what you love doing, what you're good at doing, then the impact will happen. You don't need to chase the impact because when you follow how you're designed, how you're wired. So like when I work with people and I try to help them brainstorm or think of things they can do going forward, that'll be meaningful. It's like, we'll start with what you love doing. If you love doing crafts, you can figure out a way to do crafts that would like encourage somebody else. Like it doesn't have to be some like big, you know, win a Nobel peace award kind of thing. Like it can be, if you love animals, then figure out a way to, you know, go volunteer at a, at a humane society or an animal shelter or whatever. Like, I think we get caught up because we think that like making a difference has to be this like big thing. And it really doesn't. I always encourage people to 
Like look for things that you love and enjoy, think, things that would connect you and honor the person that you lost and go start doing those things and try again, try them on for size, see what fits, see what doesn't fit. Mm-hmm. And you'll find it. You'll find the ones that you really click with and want to pursue. And you'll find the ones that you're like, eh, this wasn't as you know cool as I thought it was going to be. And yeah. it's all good either way. Yeah. I have a friend and client who says, what can I lose or something like that? Right. Like try it. And if it doesn't work, okay. You've learned something. Right. Right. And especially I used to say that all the time. Like I lost my mom and my son in a year and a half. I'm like, I mean, really, what else, what else can you do to me? You know, (laughs) Mm -hmm. if something bad happens, like no matter what bad happens, I know that I I'm going to be okay because I am okay right now. And the worst has already happened. And that's the same thing. You know, if you face your biggest fear and you've been through this thing, if you're still standing, if you're still breathing, like have that confidence that you can get through really hard things. And no matter what life throws at you, like you're going to be okay. Not instantaneously, but you are, are building and have the skills to be okay. And, and that is incredibly comforting because I think until something really bad happens in our lives, we all like either are in denial and like to pretend that nothing bad is ever going to happen. Or we all walk around with a lot of anxiety and fear around bad things happening. And so you walk around being scared and afraid. And, and what if this bad thing? So when the bad thing finally happens, there is a sense of peace and confidence that you can have that like, okay, the bad thing happened and I'm still here. And so I know that should a bad thing happen in the future, like I'm going to deal with that if, and Mm -hmm. when it happens, you know, you don't have to walk around like afraid of the other shoe dropping once it's already dropped. Yeah. So you've mentioned growth and hope and recovery and shedding that anxiety. What other blessings have, have your grief journeys brought to you? Yeah. um, I mean, just even professionally, the fact that I'm doing this career that helps so many people and is so personally rewarding to me is such a huge blessing. I know that personally, I'm so much more in tune and in touch with myself. I'm very aware of my limits (laughs) emotionally and physically. I think that's another gift. Like you you really learn. I don't have time or energy to spare, right? I, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm very intentional about how I use my time and how I extend my energy and very guarded with relationships and how I invest myself because I understand the finiteness of that. You know, there's only so much of me. There's only so much time. There's only so much energy. And that's caused me to completely change the way I live my life because I'm aware of those things. Mm-hmm. I'm also much more flexible and patient with myself. Like this whole, you know, I'm going to do my best, but if like I used to be a lot more driven and rigid and now I'm like, I understand that things happen and you have to go with the ebb and flow a bit more than I ever was. I'm much more, believe it or not, I'm much more patient and understanding with other people who haven't, who haven't experienced loss, because I, I, I know now, you know, unless until you go through it, you don't really know what you don't know. And so if people make just in general, if people make ignorant or insensitive comments, it it brushes off so much more easily because I'm like, you know, most people just, they don't know what they don't know. And so they might say hurtful or ignorant things. And it's like, you know, I didn't used to be that way. I'm also a much better parent. You know, I, 
I can't really articulate how it's changed me as a parent, but I just know I'm a much more in tune and available, emotionally available parent for my daughter, Piper. I used to be way more career focused and ambitious and really focusing on career. And now it's like, I understand the precious place that she has in my life and Mm -hmm. she comes first and I will drop everything anytime when I need to be there for her. And I'm sad to say, you know, that wasn't the case before I was just, I was so focused because I was an early mom. I had my son when I was 19. So I just, I was so busy surviving and just trying to make sure the bills were paid and the lights were on. And I let that kind of become my tunnel vision. And so this has really, you know, shaken me up that like what matters is relationship and connection and time and investing. You can't, you can't neglect relationships and not invest time and expect them to be okay. It mm-hmm. takes intentional time and investment. So, I mean, th- and those are all just like off the top of my head, like, but so many ways, so many ways I've been, you know, I'm a better version of myself because of having gone through this. You're a pretty awesome self. <laughs> <laughs> well, bless your heart. We're all, I mean, we're all works in progress. We're all, you know, I, the one thing I do have, which I think is a real advantage is that I know without a shadow of a doubt, like this is why I'm on the planet. Like, Mm -hmm. this is what I'm here to do. This is the message I'm here to carry. This is the thing that the purpose for my life. And I think, you know, however people can come to that life gets so much clearer when you know why you're here. You know, I was it Mark Twain that said the two most important days are the day you're born and the day you find out why incredibly important. And that's another thing. A lot of people find their why on the heels of trauma. A lot of people find, get really clear. I mean, I just remember after Quentin died, I had such radical clarity. Like I've never known, like in the days after him dying, I'm just like, Oh, this is it. I'm going to spend the rest of my life, like helping about the opioid epidemic and helping as many people get free from addiction and all that kind of, like, I just, and I don't know how people get that kind of level of clarity without going through something traumatic. I'm, I'm sure it's possible, but Uh, I just want to help if people have gone through something traumatic and that is available to them, help them find that radical clarity on purpose, because that just cleans up a lot of stuff. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I found that in my life too. It, and like you said, it comes often on the heels of that trauma and that loss often it's loss doesn't have to be, but trauma adversity. Yeah. When life just sucks. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, I'm so like, I'm always, I'm so inspired by you because you're so passionate about it and you, but you have, you don't have as much of the personal connection with it, but you're so passionate about helping people and you have such a clear a clarity around your purpose and how you help people. And so that's unique. It's definitely unique that you have as much clarity and passion as you do without as much personal, you know, in your back, back door kind of thing, like in your backyard, the grief piece of it. Thank you. First of all, thank you. Um, My grief has not come from death per se, but it has come from loss. Right. And as the more that I dive into this grief work, the more I'm figuring out, oh, no wonder I'm passionate about grief. It's been my companion my whole life. Mm. I'm very comfortable in grief. It's what I know. It's, it's my best friend. Gotcha. And there have been instances of traumatic loss 
not death, but, mm-hmm. um, and there have been, it's been like a, a quieter walking buddy. Yeah. For my whole life. Yeah. So see, you're uniquely equipped and prepared to do the thing that you're now doing. Like I always say, like your past doesn't define you, it prepares you, right? Mm -hmm. So whatever the thing is that you went through, maybe even it's the thing that you despise or it's, you know, the hardest thing, but that actually uniquely equipped and prepared you to do something really awesome, you know? So just like your case, like these these things that we think, you know, sometimes it can be like, why me? And why am I having to go through this? You know? And it's because it's shaping in you something that can not only bless your own life, but help others. And the key, the key is to figure out what that is, you know, and mm-hmm. you figured that out for you. And that's amazing. Yeah. That's amazing. Thank you. I always say, and firmly believe that our experiences are perfectly and individually tailored uniquely to us to help us become the best version of ourselves. Yeah, I agree wholeheartedly. I completely agree. And, and understanding our role in that, like even understanding that as a concept and then understanding that we have the ability to cooperate with that or to be in contention with that, you know, like you can either fight against the grain of your experiences, or you can, you can take that reflective step back and say, okay, you know, what did this experience teach me? Well, how am I different? You know, if you can do that reflective work, no matter what it is, good experiences, bad experiences, failure, success, grief, you know, all those things are forming and and shaping you and changing you because that's another thing. And maybe somebody needs to hear this today. Like everything is in seasons. We're always changing and evolving. Our entire body every 11 months is new. Like all Mm -hmm. the cells regenerate every 11 months. So who you are today does not carry one cell of who you were a year ago and who you will be a year from now. Same story is true. So the point is if this, if this season feels heavy and hard and impossible, it is not, it's just a season. It's a season, not a sentence, but your job is to understand it's a season and cooperate with the season that you're in so that it can prepare you for the next season. And that's really beautiful when you're going through a hard time to under, I promise you it is not forever. I promise you there's lighter, better days ahead, but you have to reach towards those. You have to move towards those and you have to let this season do its work so that you can be all that you're intended to be in that next season. I love the idea and the metaphor of the seasons, just like in nature, fall leads, fall leads into winter, leads into spring, leads into summer. And the seasons have different purposes in our lives. And they all, they all have a beginning, middle and end, and it all leads into the next one. And so I believe very much the same about grief and grieving. Like, yes, you're meant to have a season to go through that, to process it, to feel it, to recover. Like it's a heavy, hard thing. I'm not, I'm not here saying it happens instantly. You know, the what an analogy I use is imagine you had major surgery or gotten a major car wreck. That's kind of what happened to you, you know, and you would, you would plan for a length of time that you're not going to be a hundred percent and you're going to need some help and it's going to take some time and you're probably going to have to do some physical therapy And, you you know, same rules apply. Like you've been through a major trauma and you need to give yourself some patience and grace. But also if three years from now, you're still in the place of right after that should be a signal that something's wrong. We missed something somewhere, you know, like it should not go on indefinitely. There should be progress that's being made. You should be getting better as time goes on. 
Um, and if you're not, you should be looking for additional help or, you know, um, other tools or resources. And something that additional helpers can have, additional tools, resources, helpers, support people, is showing you this is where you were right Right after. Now look at where you are. Even if you don't feel like you're growing or you're progressing, you are or you That's can so be. Good. That's so important neurologically too. So when we work with people every week, they take a grief assessment and that does a lot of things. Number one, it helps you to become more self-aware. How am I doing? How is my energy? How, how is my thought life? It helps to make that mind heart connection more automatic, right? Mm -hmm. Checking in with yourself. Number two, it lets you know if there's an area you're starting to slip or go backwards, because then you need to spend some more time and pay attention in that given area. But thirdly, and to your point, if for nothing else to, to, oh my goodness, it's getting better. Like these numbers are increasing every week. Like, look at how far I've come. That's such an important thing to recognize and celebrate. And even if your numbers are exactly the same, I encourage people that like, if you're three months out after the loss, oh my goodness, you're three months out after the loss. Like you are not, I don't care. Like you're not where you were the day it happened, you, if nothing else, you've survived and endured for three months. And that is not something to take lightly. You need to celebrate that and recognize that. And then, yeah, intentionally go back and look, how am I different than three months ago? You know, when it very first happened, you probably were crying 24 seven and couldn't sleep and couldn't eat. And hopefully three months later, even if you're sleeping a little and eating a little, like that's progress. And if you keep up at this pace, six months and nine months will look a lot more different. And so keep going towards that direction. So important. So important. Mm -hmm. Well, we're almost, we're about out of time. So I wanted to thank you so much for the lessons, the encouragement, the insights that you brought. Is there anything else that you'd like to share? Well, today. I just want to, whenever I go and speak, I always offer everybody a free gift. So I did write a book called You're Not Crazy, You're Grieving. And what I do is offer the audio version of the book um, for free that anybody would, that would want to listen to it. So if they go to I'm not crazy, I'm grieving.com, uh, there's a place where they can sign up and get the audio book. And it's actually me reading the book. So if you don't like my voice, you might want to li not listen, but if you don't <laughs> mind listening to me, read the book, um, it's a great, and it's a great, just hopefully it's something that can give you an example of somebody who's doing better. And it gives you some tools in there for you to try on for size for yourself. And everywhere on social media, I'm the grief guru. So the website is thegriefguru.com on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube, the grief guru. So you can check me out in any or all of those places. Wonderful. Thank you, Kelly. Yeah, thank you. So if you enjoyed this, join us next time in our journey of exploring humanity one heart at a time. And we will be learning more about the grief journey and how we can normalize it, talk about it, incorporate it, and move forward with it. Amen.